0: Awesome. My name is Brittany Towers, and I'm also known as the Black Food Scientist on Instagram and TikTok. Um, I am actually a food scientist, so I got my bachelor's and master's in food science from Ohio State. I'm originally born and bred in Ohio, and then I moved to Chicago to start work. Um, So actually, I recently left my first job that I had when I graduated, which was at PepsiCo. Um, So working mostly in beverages, I work on Gatorade and juices, making new products. So food scientists do a variety of things, but I worked in product development, working on launching new products, working on fixing our old products, working on just a lot of different things, um, which has been really great. And more recently, I'm actually starting a new job at Vital Proteins on Monday, um, working in the uh, protein space with collagen and powders and beverages, um, so I'm really excited about the new
1: opportunity I get to do. Ooh, I was gonna say, I'm like Vital Proteins is the collagen people, aren't they? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, this is the one with like the coffee collagen that I have just yep. not decided I'm happy with yet. But so I hope <laughs> that whatever you do over there, you can fix some of these things because it's oh, still yeah. it still tastes like a mineral chalk, and you're like yeah it's hard like I, yeah i want this to be better for them <laughs>
0: yeah but that's what yeah but that's stuff i'm gonna definitely work on like that's what. <laughs> yeah that's what they that's what a lot of food scientists do because um Love like it. not only working on new products but also helping renovate old products i think people don't really realize i was actually talking to um one of our lab techs and she was like i didn't realize how much you work on products that actually exist Things like, for example, like people, they're constantly working on products to make them better, make them like renovate them and make them work for kind of now the space that we're in now because ingredients change, people's perceptions change, um, people's nutrition needs change. We're trying, always trying to take out like sugar out of products, but you can't, you can't necessarily do that really fast with people because they'd be like oh, you just took five grams of sugar out of this. This is, this is awful. Like, I don't want it anymore. But you have to like slowly yeah. get people accustomed to that.
1: Wow. You know what? It's almost comforting to know that people are, that companies are still working on mm-hmm. improving their products. Um, yeah. I mean, not everyone, of course, abides by like an ethical standard for that practice. But, but I think for the most part, like, commercial commercialization of food has has just for me always been like a mix i think that it's mm-hmm. there's a necessity for it um and then there's a point where capitalism takes over and so mm-hmm. you know the value is not to the consumer anymore and i think that's when you have those those problems in corporations yes. where people are like it's is like 90 percent of this is not even real food um yeah. okay so What was that? Wow! So my brain just literally dropped that question. It just went through what I call the vortex, and it just (laughs) fell all the way out. I was like, "She was okay. Oh, okay. Gatorade, PepsiCo. Mm -hmm. Um, For those who don't know, like that that space between like graduating and then landing that first job. Yeah. What were you looking for? Was it like was PepsiCo kind of like the ideal? set up when you first applied? Mm -hmm. Or was it like, did it become a job that you loved later? And then it was like, Oh, it's time to go. I've outgrown it.
0: Yeah. So I think when I was looking for jobs, when I was looking for jobs in 2013, the job market was Okay, I'll say I applied to so many jobs. (laughs) Um, I Like it was so many. I can't even, I probably applied to probably like 40 jobs.
1: Yeah, that's estimated.
0: Yeah, um, I knew that I really wanted to work in product development mostly because of, I love creativity. I also love cooking. Like cooking is a passion of mine. And I think developing new things for companies kind of helps you to utilize that, um, like that thing that I love. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. Didn't, I know I didn't want to go into like quality assurance or work in a plant, really. Um, so I knew specifically I wanted to do that. As far as like if I want to go to a large company versus a small company versus like a supplier that maybe like the supplier that makes the protein that goes into protein shakes. Right. I wasn't really I, I didn't really care like when I was graduating. Gotcha. Like, um, I yeah, a job. I, was, I was like, I'll take I will take whatever you give me at this point. <laughs>
1: like, just give uh, me a job and I don't care.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh but it's interesting actually how I got into Pepsi because it's a really bizarre story actually. Um, I love Bazaar. So, I, love I yeah. think we
1: all agree Bazaar works here.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, then I was like, oh, I was meant to start my career here. So they posted a job on uh, the job board at Ohio State, which I a, don't remember to, applying to because it was an engineering job. So Ooh. I'm not an engineer at all. <laughs> um, I didn't major. in. Ed- I took one engineering class and I, I was like, oh, I don't remember applying to this. And they called me and they're like, hey and we want to interview you for this engineering job. And I was like, what? <laughs> That's I okay. Know. I was like, I don't, I had no idea like, what they are talking did about. So yeah, they called me. me and- <laughs> I wasn't
1: awake when this happened.
0: Exactly. They called me and I was like, oh, I don't even know what they're talking about, but I'll go with it. <laughs> like, We'll just okay. go with it. Um, yeah. So I had a phone interview with the hiring manager and then I went to the office to do an in-person interview with the whole engineering team. Um, They were interested in the uh, research I was doing in grad school, which was why they were interviewing Uh, someone that wasn't an engineer.
1: Gotcha. Um,
0: Yeah. So after the interview, um, like two or three months go by and I hear nothing radio silence. And I was like, oh man. Two or three months
1: is entirely too long, but that, okay.
0: Yeah. So I assumed that, okay, I guess that I didn't get the job. So we'll just move on. Um, And then someone called me back from Pepsi. They're like, hey, so we didn't hire you for this engineering job. They hired an engineer. I was like, okay, that that makes sense.
1: Two or three months kind of gave me the hint. Thanks. Yep.
0: And then, but they were like, but a product development position just opened up and they recommended you for it if you're interested. And I was like, Oh yeah.
1: (laughs) Of course. Absolutely.
0: Definitely. So I talked to, um, I phone interviewed with like three people um, in the product development team on the phone, never met them in person. The next day they hired me like, <laughs> this, like come it, on, board. Was,
1: we don't know what you look like. It's fine.
0: I, it, it was like, it was so weird because it was like the, so the engineering team recommended me to the product nice. development team. So like, we think that she would be really great here. Um, just not in engineering. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So it, it was so funny. Cause I waited so long from like the engineering. And then like literally the day after I interviewed, they called me and gave me an offer. So it went so fast.
1: They were like, we already, we, it's nice to have that, I guess, because it's like you have already really interviewed, like engineering mm-hmm. kind of, yeah. specifically when like another department, like recommend you for something. You just yeah. kind of, you hope that, yeah, they're like, she's not, she couldn't have, no, this, this job wouldn't have worked out, but <laughs> she's fantastic for this other one. That's yes. why yes. I guess it's a great lesson in like say yes until you have to say no cuz you could have mm-hmm. been like i'm not going to go for this interview this is not a position that exactly. like i'm even interested in but to like okay i have no engineering background but we're going to just keep going to see how long we can do this um yeah cuz it would that's that's risky and it's just like to get into that interview and go okay so i have zero engineering experience so i hope you guys know yeah. that that's wow <laughs> so i don't no, have, like
0: and- exactly and that wow. can be intimidating that can be intimidating especially yeah. for i mean engineering is a very male dominated field i think oh, everyone man. everyone that i interviewed with was a male um except one person but she was actually in like more of the science she actually majored in food science so she was more in, like okay. the science side um mm. everyone like yeah so engineering is a very male dominated field oh, and yeah. it's uh, yeah and it's already very intimidating especially someone that has like zero engineering background wow Um,
1: yeah i mean i can't even imagine like but i hey bravo because i mean just like i tell people take the risks who is it um Mm -hmm. when i interviewed fawn weaver from uh uncle nearest like that was her that is her like her ethos is like the bigger risk I take, the larger, the larger my success is. And so she oh, yeah. really directly equates a lot of her wins with how big of a risk she's prepared to take. So I'm just mm-hmm. like, you know, if you can center some risk taking in your career, I think it, it does. It pays off, obviously. So it's yeah, just like, yeah it, re- okay. it really does. So your work at Pepsi, what did, how did that kind of like shape? Did it kind of start one way and evolve into something else? Or did you really kind of just stay with kind of this, those same tasks and, you know, kind of stick to your role? Did you see any, because sometimes you yeah. get to a place and you don't see any growth, so...
0: Yeah. And I think so throughout my career, I've had, I've had the opportunity to work on a ton of different brands, um, which I really enjoyed mostly in the beverage space. So I do have most of my experiences with like ready to drink beverages or like powdered beverages. I have a little Mm. experience with some like food type products in Gatorade since Gatorade has like a, like protein bars and then also like gummy chews and things like that. Um, But I've been in product development the whole time. A reason that I did leave was because I think my, idea of my career growth was faster than what I was going to get at a larger company. Gotcha. Um, so, so where I'm going is a much smaller company. Um, yeah. and I think my career, like for me, the growth that I want in my career, it is, it, I wasn't going to get for a few more years where I was, gotcha. um, which, which is fine for some people. But for me personally, I was like, I want to be leading things more. I want to be managing people more. Gotcha. Um, so, and I want to be like more in a decision-making role yeah. versus where I am now.
1: Oh um, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. It's kind of like, okay, I think I'm ready for the, I think I'm ready for the big yard. We're good. Yeah. Let's, let's keep going. Um, what does like the, like the traditional, I guess, traditional like career trajectory look like for yeah. food scientists? Cause I can't like, I don't think most people can put their brains around the fact that like it, it's you're a, it's a science that. is required to do this type of work. And it's like, what does that career path look like? I mean, yeah, exactly. Uh,
0: (laughs) It it can be very different for people. The great, I think the great thing about food science is that you can, there's a lot of different things you can do. Product development is just one of them. I would say it's probably like one of the more common ones and one that people are like, oh, I get it. Like we need food. So someone needs to make it. So there you go. Um, That's it. Yeah.
1: I feel like, uh, well, there it is, guys. This is what we do. Wow. Yeah,
0: exactly. But it really depends. Like I most people start out like in kind of a scientist role or even a technician role. Like you can start technician or scientist and then you can either move If you want to like move up in a company, if you work for like a larger corporation, you could move up and kind of be like a manager and then like a director, like the head of the whole R&D department or research and development department. Um, Or you could kind of like move laterally if you, if you're like, well, I don't want to do product development anymore. I might want to go into quality, making sure that the food that we're giving to people is A, safe and B, still tastes the same like it, like yeah. it at the end of its shelf life and that's the beginning right you're like
1: um, oh this is not gonna go well yeah uh-huh
0: yeah yeah and that, that's probably like one of the harder jobs yeah. I would say like, oh, um, guys, we can't or you could get... like <laughs> the, yeah ahead. or you could like go to a plant um and work there like work in quality at a plant which working at a plant I've never worked at a plant like a manufacturing plant but they work insane hours they're always there Yeah, they'll call you in the middle of the night if something goes wrong, because most plants run like 24 hours. And yeah, I've heard horror stories of people getting phone calls in the middle of the night, like, like something broke, and we can't make anything. What do we do? And stuff like that. It it happens all the time. (laughs) It happens so often. Or like someone made something wrong. What do we do with it? Like we made... We made like hundreds of thousands of dollars of product and someone did something wrong. What do we do?
1: They use salt instead of sugar. What do we do?
0: That, (laughs) you know, you, you would be so surprised. at like some of the crazy stuff that happens. I used to get calls to my dad. I wouldn't, I wouldn't answer them because they'd call and be like, Oh, we like, we added this thing instead of this. Like, what do we do? And I was like, why did you do that?
1: How did you come (laughs) to this place? Like, why would you? Yeah. What is like how I mean you're happen? set up for success. I don't get how you got there. Yeah, it's That's... like everything's labeled. <laughs> That's... But yeah.
0: It's it's crazy stuff like that that happens. So like working in a plant can be very stressful. Um, oh my god. Yeah, but you can really go anywhere. Like some people go into like consulting. I know people that have like made their own kind of consulting companies. So that smaller food companies, like people that have no science experience at all, like they're just right. like, oh, I want to make, I want to make this company and make like a chocolate bar. But they, like, don't really know how to make a chocolate bar. So they yeah. need someone to go to to be like, hey, you need I need help to commercialize my chocolate bar.
1: Um, gotcha. Actually,
0: okay. Yeah. Actually, when I was at Ohio State, um, they a lot of smaller companies use universities a lot of time to make their products um, and also kind of use students to help them, um, like, get their products, like, from the ground up running. There's a lot of, like, oh, small... Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of small, like, incubation companies that would make stuff at Ohio State and then, like, sell it in Whole Foods, like, in Columbus, for example. Oh,
1: got you. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. 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 I think it's funny because people, you know, I used to talk to students a lot about, like, especially culinary students in, like, high schools and stuff, about, like, what their options were and what their Mm -hmm. trajectories could be. And, you know, working in a restaurant, of course, is typically the hard sell for most like recruiters and stuff. But I was, you know, I was mentioned like I mean like, there's food science, there's mm-hmm. research and development. There's a lot of spaces where you can apply that, like that culinary knowledge and yeah um and that culinary information. So like what parts of your education really spoke it, well let's back up Tiff and try an actual actually form a question. So Ohio State Is Mm -hmm. it an actual like food science degree or is it a general science degree? And then there's like a specialization or how does that how does the culinary education part like play into?
0: Uh, Yeah. So so Ohio State does have a food science department. Um, There are there are quite a few schools that actually have a food science, food science departments. Um, some of them are accredited by IFT, which is the Institute of Food Technologists. Um, you, your school can still have a food science department and not be accredited by IFT. Um, that's okay. a, that can exist. Um,
1: but it's not, re- it's not recommended.
0: Yeah, but, but, but yeah, but um, food science was a specific uh, major at Ohio State. It used to be called food science and nutrition. They changed it to food science and technology, uh, mostly okay. because like I took a few nutrition classes, but I wouldn't say that's like the main focus of gotcha. the major. Um, so yeah, uh, I would say culinary wise. So I don't have like, a, I don't have a culinary degree. I have a certified culinary scientist degree that I got while working yeah, at Pepsi. You, what yeah,
1: would and be we, the distinction? Like, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's so, the distinction if someone was to go like, I went to culinary school and I want to become a food scientist, would they, would you recommend they go back to school?
0: Yes. Yeah, so there's a couple of things you can do because I have friends that have, gotten a food because after i graduated undergrad i thought about going to culinary school because that's okay. something that i really love and then ultimately i did not because i was like oh it's a lot of money like, never mind <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> <Very> <laughs> yeah i was telling. like oh never mind yeah uh, but i have had friends that got a food science degree went to culinary school i do know people that went to culinary school and now work at food companies because um at pepsi and at a lot of larger companies they have uh like research chefs or culinary chefs that yeah like kind of do a lot of the upfront work. So what you can do through RCA, which is the Research Chef Association. So they have two different um, kind of certifications that you can get. So one is the, a research chef and the other okay. one is a certified culinary scientist. So a research chef is for people that have a culinary degree um, that want more of that science knowledge. So you can kind of get more of the food science side and then okay. utilize your culinary degree and then get uh, certified as a research chef. The other one is a certified culinary scientist, which is for food scientists that want more of the culinary background. So it's the opposite. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. So so then I actually got
0: to take um, instruction from chefs from the uh, Culinary Institute of America um, for, you have to do like 40 hours of instruction um, and then take a test and pass it.
1: That Uh, makes sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of options.
1: Are your labs set up with, like, I mean, you, of course, are running through product to test, Mm -hmm. you know, um, wow, this is my brain, like, zero caffeine this morning Um, to test formulas and things. There's the word formulas and things like that. Um, Yeah. Do you have like a kitchen setup as mm-hmm. well? So you have to like t- you know like actually run it through a cooking process or like whatever you know with beverages. I imagine you don't necessarily have to cook them, but you know actually have to drop them in water and taste them and that kind of thing. And so is that like how those labs are set up for you? Know, like for the most part.
0: Yeah, so I'd say most uh, most labs that I've seen, like in kind of the food science space, actually look like a lab, like like oh, a chemistry. Okay. I don't know that looks like a, like a chemistry lab. They, there's like benches, and we have like uh, Erlenmeyer flasks, and like uh, beakers and stuff. We usually mix all of our stuff like in beakers, um, and we have scales uh, mostly to weigh stuff out. Or if you want to do things by volume, that's why you need something like a volumetric flask. Oh, uh, so it looks like kind of like a science lab but everything is edible
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's a dream job for somebody out here yes
0: yeah exactly exactly so you get to kind of mix your science and after you're done making it because in chemistry labs they tell you like don't eat anything in here like don't eat stuff Um, I would hope not Um, yeah
1: but it's the same people who would like go to bed with their hair dryer still on and the labels the label's been printed for them so uh, oh, <laughs> someone someone out there is doing that wow okay okay um so the
0: cool thing about food science is that like once you make it you can you, you can then it. consume it um nice. so yeah we also do uh, it depends on i think the company but we did have a kitchen as well um where we were so the chefs would do they do more like kind of like upfront more culinary type stuff and then okay. we take it and say hey how can we make this on a larger scale, in a manufacturing plant, ah. because they'll make pretty looking stuff, and it's like, okay, well, we can't. It won't look like that. We're, not,
1: we're not gonna put that mac and cheese in that tray like that. So how? Yeah, like
0: put, like take tweezers and like put little. Like we're not gonna do that, but no, no one is, yeah. and that's the thing.
1: Because um, that like, I every now and again when I do like pop something in the microwave, that that's I literally think about that. I'm like, okay, so the person mm-hmm. who figured out that this particular thing only requires like three and a half minutes yeah. in order to be properly cooked to the right temperature in order to have the right like textures and consistencies in order to meet the expectation of the mm-hmm. person eating it and I just like I think about that a lot because you know what that looks like in real yeah. time in a restaurant and you're just like so the the steps you have to take to go okay how do we duplicate this experience for people so when you when to like especially if the um if you're in the in the frozen section and you see like mm-hmm. the branded uh meals things like the was the bertolli meal oh you just yeah drop in. they have the cute the sauces and cubes mm-hmm. and okay we'll cook it this way with this much water at this temperature and it should give you the product you're expecting like it'll thicken up it'll do all the things you're expecting yep. it to that for me like it does feel like mad science a little bit because you're just kind of mm-hmm. like okay mm-hmm. yeah like- like at the end, you kind of go, yeah, this will work, guys. We're, this, this happens. This will, this will be fine. So, like with shelf stable things like mm-hmm. Gatorade and yeah. like powdered beverages and bars and things like that, what's, the, is that, how is that process different from like a lack of a better term, like a live food scenario, something that like is going to go in the microwave and needs heat applied to it?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I guess I can get a little more into like some like sciencey stuff, like processing, <laughs> like how, like why, kind of oh, why think. we can keep some stuff not refrigerated and other stuff we, you have to refrigerate. Oh, yeah. So essentially really like that
1: yeah. here. Yeah.
0: Uh-huh. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> so, so when, so when you're thinking of a food product to make sure that it doesn't make you sick, because that's the number one goal, we don't want anyone to get sick from anything that you eat. We prefer you not to get sick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, you need to meet different hurdles. So there's different hurdles to um, combat microbial growth in products. Um, temperature is one of them. So either temperature that you're storing it at, so refrigeration or, or freezing something will help, um, limit microbial growth. Also, um, heating something. So heating something to kill the bacteria that also helps. So if you think of like home canning, when you're like heating something really hot, you sterilize everything, heat it. So then you can keep it at room temperature. Um, that's one. Another one is, uh, the acidity of the product. So if the product is really acidic, a lot of microbes don't like acidic environments. So they won't grow if something's really acidic. Um, When you get above acidic, like when you get to things like milk or water or like more dairy products, then uh, microbes like that kind of (laughs) um, environment. So then they will like to grow. Um, And then the third one is uh, the amount of water that's in a product. So the less water that's in a product, microbes usually like a a more moist environment so if you remove water things like powders so like sugar you can keep dry like protein powder you can keep on your shelf because there's there's barely any water in it right Um, but something that has a lot of water then microbes will grow so those are kind of like hurdles that you want to reach so usually um, if you see like drinks that are just sitting on the shelf and not refrigerated those have been processed in a way like heated in a way that the microbes have been killed so it can sit on the shelf so when you're seeing like an
1: almond milk or a rice milk or something and you're kind of like well wait a minute why is this one refrigerated and this one not yeah yeah it's usually
0: usually the way they're processed things in the refrigerator can be processed the same way as something in it it, on the on the shelf yeah some companies like their stuff being in the refrigerator because people have a different perception of something this is true that's refrigerated than <laughs> that's on the shelf but that, um, that's up to the company um that's not me but the great thing so things about like shelf stable things usually it can either be processed like what we call like hot fill so essentially you sterilize your bottle you fill the product in hot and then cap it and then um that's that Okay. Um, another process is aseptic, which is a, a lot of how um, a lot of things in like those little carton tetra packs, so like things yeah. like almond milk, are processed. So it's a very sterile process. So they sterilize it, and it's made in an aseptic environment, so no bacteria can get in. Because like I said before, so Gatorade is more wow. acidic.
1: Okay, and, yeah, that does make sense. And, and
0: And almond milk and things like that have a higher pH. So you want to make sure that, okay, I need to have like two hurdles to make sure that I don't get microbes. Gatorades okay. process and acidity, almond milk is mostly the process and keeping microbes out in general. So they're gotcha. just like, We're gonna put it in a sterile environment so that there's nothing in here yes, oh, like, yeah. so it's they like, like, don't even well. introduce
1: the the danger yep. into the environment. So that way, you the process itself stays very sterile. And anyone, in, in, you know, listening right now who has worked in food in a restaurant understands time and temperature abuse mm-hmm. and storing food in like the walk-in and making sure it comes back down to temperature properly, yep. and then bringing back bringing it back to temperature during service to make sure it's like mm-hmm. maintained there. And so I think it, uh, it's so funny that it's reflective. In that way, yeah. it's kind of like, oh, well, I think I can understand, like, how that would would play. It's like, oh, I have my Bain Marie going, and I have to keep that above 165 mm-hmm. degrees in order to keep this, you know, safe to eat. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I think most people, like, if they've worked in a live kitchen space, understand, like, that, at least the concept of, like, this mm-hmm. is why this is sterile. Now now that we're on the subject of food safety, because I think, yeah. and, and to bring this back into, like, a cultural conversation. hmm Historically, like black people have some very interesting mythology around food safety. and you know exactly which ones I'm talking about based on this laugh Um, because I think some of it is legitimately historical like you know Mm -hmm. there was a time where we didn't have refrigeration and of course if you were enslaved you really didn't have very many methods of preservation and you had to be really creative Um, Mm -hmm. and then as we kept going and like neighborhoods were redlined and you know marginalized and you didn't have access to fresh food um, Mm -hmm. maybe the food coming into your neighborhood was kind of like the stuff that fell off the truck and all of those things. And so you had to be protective of that. Um, I mean the trichinosis scare of like Uh, three decades. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was founded in some real like events. And then eventually you were like, ladies and gentlemen, you can stop cooking your pork until it's inedible. Like, Oh, okay. Um, so in that, in that conversation, like in that space, what does that Historically, what does that look like when you kind of start in a certain way in society around food and like food supply and um and supply chains, and you Mm -hmm. get to a place where you don't have to, you know, you don't have to overcook your pork. You don't have you can eat your beef a little bit rare. Um, Those types of things, because I know like like you know there's there's always the ongoing very energetic debate around, like, don't wash raw chicken. And, you know, Mm -hmm. you have culinary folks who are like, you don't have to wash the chicken, guys. It's fine. You don't have to wash the chicken. But then you have someone's like 80-year-old auntie who's like, wash this chicken thoroughly, soak (laughs) it in dawn. And you're just like, what? No! Stop with the soap and water. It's not a person. So... Yeah. Wow. I just, let's, let's dispel some of the myths right now and yes, give people some science to use in order to talk to their relatives so they can stop abusing their food.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting because a lot of things that you brought up are things that I've just, I've seen like <laughs> it, it just in life um, about the trichinosis. So I know a lot of, I know a lot of people that don't eat pork because of that. Yeah. Like they just don't, they won't they eat pork. They just don't do it. They won't do it. Um, yeah. I I don't need a ton of meat, um, but I will. I mean, I I love some bacon. My like usually if so, I eat it, my husband gave me like a half a piece of bacon this morning, and I was like, say, yes. on
1: occasion. <laughs> like I like I don't eat a yeah. ton of meat, but like on occasion, if I'm going to eat it, it's usually fairly expensive um but it's like when i splurge because i don't eat a lot of it anyway so i will buy like uh you know a a whole side of salmon Mm, for 80 bucks and just use that and instead of like okay i'm gonna buy a can of like you know i'm hey i'm not against canned salmon guys it's fine um (laughs) it has its uses but, like, if I'm going to eat meat because I don't eat a lot of it, I kind of I do splurge on like really high end yeah. like protein options. but anyway, back to the back to yeah. the pork,
0: yeah. So I know a lot of people that don't eat it just because of that and also like talk like about like cooking it to a point where it's like almost an edible. actually, one of my friends she she's Ga- she's Ghanaian and she said, so African people, she's like, no, well, like n- my dad won't eat anything that's not like burnt essentially because that yeah because she's like we like have it's kind of like now or i don't know known in their communities that you have like you should cook this until it is completely well well done yeah Yeah. because we don't want to get sick because maybe back in the day people did get sick from things like that because like food safety practices weren't as prevalent People weren't following a lot of kind of the guidances that we have now. Right. And people think that they have to like cook, cook their meat to like a, a point where it's like, it's it not, was, it's already dead. It's right, guys, it
1: you can't chew that. Like you just, there's no way for that to even go down at this point. You've wasted like your money cooking it like this. Yeah, it's Exactly. Insane
0: yeah and if anyone has like if anyone needs any guidance on like what temperatures to cook meat the USDA has great guidance on what temperatures Wait. to cook
1: your meat at um and you're and it will I promise I promise it will it's, be safe to it's eat. safe guys it's safe at 165 you've really capped out like please <laughs> yeah yeah stop. like I
0: yeah I promise it it will be safe um I always am on the notion that um like when I take something out of the refrigerator, if it smells weird, don't cook it or yeah, eat it. That's really my yeah, rule. Don't of do that. Yeah. 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 Even yeah. if it's like but if it's before the I don't follow expiration dates or smelling dates. I ignore those. I smell all my food before I do anything all the time. with it. This
1: like, is really how I live now. Yeah. Because yeah, there, I think I was and it's funny because like we can we can dive into uh, like this idea of like food food tr- like collective food trauma. Mm-hmm. later on because I think a lot of uh, a lot of these practices are born from like food traumas and yeah. you know like the collective food supply situation um but there was a I was managing a a camp a, a kitchen for a summer camp mm-hmm. and we bought milk because it was required by the um by the wow usda um mm-hmm. for like childhood nutrition and it, mm-hmm. because it was a, a like a non situation and we were feeding kids from you know it's essentially in like a public school situation you had to have Mm -hmm. milk. Mm -hmm. And so we got milk and some of it didn't, we didn't distribute because the kids didn't want it or it came back because the kids didn't open Mm -hmm. it or drink it. And instead of it expiring in the way we know milk to expire, smells clumping, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. all of the, all of the joys of that, it became gelatinous. It became like a milk Mm. jello. And so like disposing of it was very disturbing. Yeah. Um, cause I had to open it cause I saw the expiration date mm-hmm. and I it was like, Oh man, these are way past. And so I opened it to check to see what was going on with it. Mm-hmm. And when I got the box open, it just came out in a single block, like a Ooh. block of milk cello. And I was just like, what the hell is this? Um, so I just was creeped out thoroughly and was like, just throw it all away. But then later on I bought a brand of milk and it did the same thing. I forgot about like the last little bit in there. And I was like, I'll let me get rid of this milk. And I went to go like dump it just to clear the, mm-hmm. the, the yeah. actual container so I could recycle it. And again, it comes out in like this Jello consistency. Interesting. And I was just like, what are we doing? And then I started with, like, I just, it freaked me out because then I noticed, um, I went to go cuz they usually do like raw milk or or if I can get my hands on it or whole milk. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I go to, to like the milk the, you know the milk refrigerator yeah. and I noticed that the expiration dates on some of this milk is mm-hmm. like 6 months from the, oh. the from the time mm-hmm. you buy and I was just like oh my god. So what have we done? Cuz I know you can do ultra pasteurization, you yeah, can do like yeah. all of those but I even even with that how are we keeping this milk six months is a long time (laughs) although like in theory yeah
0: depending on like when i talked about before if you process something aseptically in theory you could keep it forever (laughs) i guess like if well in theory if you had like all I from a standpoint of like food
1: safety. Got you. Okay.
0: Specifically for food safety, like, will it taste good? Like two years later? No, we would hope not. It's gonna be awful. <laughs>
1: like, we hope that it deters you from doing that ever again. Yes.
0: Yeah. Don't don't do that.
1: You're just like huh? because the the who's the um who there what's the name of the milk? Is it fair? Fair. Uh, fair life. Fair life. So like mm-hmm. that fair life milk, and I knew I noticed there was something very different about it. Like I, someone yeah. had uh, yeah. So. Uh, yeah
0: they like I think I'm trying to remember I think they ultra filter it so it has more protein okay. oh and and actually that might if if like if when it goes bad that might be why it's like gelatinizing because that's what I was wondering so I was like something protein missing
1: protein. here <laughs> something yeah no so, so
0: it's, it's milk but it's not like it's not like re- like a
1: regular milk <laughs> it's like it's not milk it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's like when they one. used to enter when they introduced like you had orange juice and orange drink oh um, yeah <laughs> it's like, so there's milk and milk drink. It's not milk, milk drink. Milk. <laughs> it's milk drink. I just it, freaked, it It still freaks me out. Like I look at it and I like walk past a container, like something's not right. This level of science is not okay. What are we doing to people? But I get like, I understand the necessity because mm-hmm. food is expensive and yeah. people do not have as many dollars for food as they used to. And if mm-hmm. you have a, if you have a house full of kids, um, and you need, you, you know, milk and cereal is kind of the thing that you, you know, you're yeah. making pancakes like there's just so many applications for it. You need to be able to buy things and they not expire so quickly because you, you know, that's essentially your money expiring. So like it, for me, when people get into that conversation, they get very passionate about like, you know, you need to eat real food and, you know, and I'm like, yeah. yes, there are, there are absolute like truths in that all the time mm-hmm. at the same time. And, and also people do not have money for food there are a lot of people in the world who are food insecure and these you know there are labs all over the world creating sustainable food products Mm -hmm. for people who are in these places where you can't you can't afford you know a six dollar excuse me eight dollar glass jar of raw milk from the local farmer you can't that's not where your dollars need to go and you know as well as like, we know like a lot of shelf stable products and a lot of shelf products are not necessarily nutritionally dense. And so the work that food scientists are doing to make those options continue to be economical, Mm. but also nutritional and nutrient dense is like, that's really important work. I don't, I think people like villainize it very quickly because they don't understand Mm. like what the process looks like and having a face like yourself behind You know, the work where people are like, oh, that's a real person back there, like doing these actual things. It's not like a robot or some, you know, this person who has, you know, zero care for humanity and they're just in it for the money. Like none of that energy is there. So I I am always grateful when I can when I run across someone who is working in this space, because it's like it reminds people like there are human components to all of this, to this entire process. And like, yes. While some of the overreaching behaviors of like commercialized food spaces can be hard to swallow, you Mm -hmm. have to remember there are people who legitimately care about other human beings being able to get access to healthy food. In a way that's affordable and accessible because there's no point in telling people to eat real food if they can't get to it. If there's no grocery store in their neighborhood, if it costs more money to shop in their Mm -hmm. zip code than someone else's zip code. So there's no point to that. So it's like, well, if we're only going to give them a liquor store in this neighborhood and we're going to fill it with products that you can only sit on a shelf and there's not a lot of like fresh food there. They deserve to still have nutritionally dense food that takes care of them. And what can we do? to answer that. So there's just, yeah, there's a tremendous amount of like, I tell people like nobility and honor in food work because of that. I mean, for the people who are doing it for the right reasons.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. And I feel like, I mean, sometimes when I like on social media, I feel like some people are, I don't know, I guess I'll use the word shaming people for yeah. like, Oh, you're not eating organic. Oh, you're not eating this. And it's like people, uh, everyone can't afford that. I would rather have someone eat a, a, a regular apple yeah. then eat no apple at all. Like, that period.
1: <laughs> like every, that, time. Every, every time. Every time. It's better
0: that you eat fruits and vegetables. I don't care if they're organic. I don't, it doesn't matter. Are they but, clean?
1: Have they been yeah. washed and cooked properly? Let's yeah, jump yeah. those hurdles first.
0: Yeah. And it's, and it's really frustrating to see, kind of see that I think narrative kind of build because that's also something that I try to talk about on my Instagram as well as how can we get, like more nutritional food that's less expensive? Like what are yeah. ingredients that are less expensive that are also nutritious that you can use? Um, that's yeah. that's a reason why I think like it's very valuable for people to know, hey, how can I swap some of my meat out for something else? That will yeah. also be good. My husband's exactly. a huge meat eater, so I test okay. all my recipes on him. So if he <laughs> eats it, I'm like, hey, the meat eater in your life will also eat this. Like yeah. things like lentils. Lentils are very inexpensive. Beans are very inexpensive. Yeah. And I think people... Some, even like canned beans because like be, like dried beans yeah that's
1: a whole other thing so you have to like People soak disparage it. the canned bean and they really shouldn't
0: I love I love can I, love I eat can so bean. many canned beans <laughs> like that I have probably like 10 cans of beans in my, just,
1: my the only thing I don't the only things I, and it's specifically because of taste and texture the only two mm-hmm. things I really don't prefer in a can are green beans uh, and corn yeah. and corn I'm just like there's just yeah. nothing oh redeemable yeah. about either one of those products
0: <laughs> no those two things no but I, like black beans great and like great. any anything like i, I was yeah. like i'll eat them all um so that's something that i try to talk about so people are like oh these are things that hopefully even if i don't have like a full-fledged grocery store near me because yeah. in chicago like food insecurity is i mean oh, throughout the united states food yeah, insecurity is a huge thing yeah. food access is a really big thing like people people don't realize that people don't live like don't have don't live 10 minutes from a grocery store
1: let me tell you (laughs) let me tell you I was just talking to a friend and you know dear woman dear woman Mm -hmm. just a dear dear lady and but she was so in the dark about how bad and prevalent food insecurity actually is in this country and I think it's because of how it how it's pitched to the general public like how it Mm. looks they've really created like you know, this kind of PR program around, okay, this is what poverty looks like. And this is what hunger yeah. looks like in the United States. And when it looks like none of that, it looks like your kid going to school and having um, a debt on his like school lunch card mm-hmm. that can't be paid. And he's in school. You're in a really beautiful little suburb at a in a great little school district, yeah. and all the other things. And you're you know your wife's working two jobs. You're working two jobs. You guys have a dog and a three bedroom home with a pool and everything else. And yet your child you can't mm-hmm. afford. You don't have the financial bandwidth to pay the school lunch debt. Like that's what food insecurity looks like. And people yeah. really think it looks like something else. And I think this is why we don't aggressively attack the problem Mm -hmm. is because we have painted poverty to look like, you know, utter homelessness with connections to drug addiction. Like that's really kind of the peak poster child Mm -hmm. for poverty and like need in this country where it's really just your coworker showing up every day and they don't have lunch. That's that kind of stuff. And if, and if you're not paying attention in the lunchroom, if you're not paying attention Mm -hmm. at school, you don't recognize that, you know, this person's only meal is if the office brings in like subway sandwiches today and then they take things home to their family. Um, so yeah, I just, it's, it's a conversation. I think people have buried, they've buried the lead on it in an effort to like shame the people working on fixing it and like really in earnest trying to figure out how do we give people access to food i mean food is a right being able to eat is a right it's a it's a human right and i we've treated because of <laughs> the grand old capitalism it's now treated as a as a privilege or a luxury and so it's just kind of like how do you combat that and it's like this is how
0: yeah you just, no definitely Actually, something really cool. I have to like make sure I like say the name of the organization correctly. But um, this past I think it was the summer in Chicago, a group of high school um, kids made a um, like kind of like a farmer's market um, on the west side of Chicago where there's not as much access to fresh foods, um, as there is like maybe uh, on the North side of Chicago, like where I live, where you can go 10 minutes in any five to 10 yeah. minutes, in any direction, be in every, every store that you want to be in. Oh, so it's, uh, it's by the hands club, which is, um, an organization in Chicago and they made an open air market called Austin harvest. So it was, um, mostly black males that led this, um, effort and yes. to give access to healthy snacks, drinks and produce um and then also flowers um to the neighborhood i love Uh, it yeah which is amazing oh let's see when yeah they did this this summer um so and also like from reading this article i also learned that like if you don't live within a mile and a half of a grocery or if you live within a mile and a half of a grocery store you're more likely to live longer because you just just have you have access to like, right. <laughs> you have access
1: yeah. to food. It's like, look, yeah, at you, that access, food that you, you have access life. to
0: healthy food, yeah. and and if you don't, I mean, then you're already starting out at like at a Ugh. disadvantage just because yeah. of where you live, which is which is unfortunate. So it hopefully, is. there's like more just, things like this that. I
1: mean, could, you know, like someone empowered that group of young people mm-hmm. to go. Yes, you see a problem, you have the solution what do you need? And it's just like, if we can stay out of people's way that are actually doing something like not Mm -hmm. talking about it, but actually doing, you know, physically doing something about it, like, let's stay out of their way, support them however you can and just get out Mm -hmm. of the way if you're not interested. Um, and you know, I haven't had a a huge conversation about like food insecurity and and all those things yet on the podcast. Eventually I think I'm going to have to like do like a chat of some kind. Um, because there's just so much to unpack about mm-hmm. it. And people don't don't understand like what the nuances are around like food apartheid and why mm-hmm. it exists. And, you know, like one of the simplest ways I explain it to people when they are still kind of grappling with this idea that in a country like this, people could go hungry. Um, yeah. Uh, it's like, you guys really don't understand how <laughs> ridiculous mm-hmm. this country is. Um, I always explain it to them this way. I was like, if you look at how, the ancient nations fought each other and tried to Mm -hmm. conquer each other, like Mm -hmm. cutting off your food supply and cutting off your access to water was an act of war. And so when you are in the United States and you go into a neighborhood and you, you know, your closest grocery store that's fully stocked and Mm -hmm. fairly priced is more than three miles, four miles away. You have to get on two buses and take an Uber and all this other business in order to get Mm -hmm. there. To cut an entire community off from their food is an yeah. act of war, and so like mm. if you are trying to if you're trying to destroy a people group, cutting yeah. cutting them off from nutrition and food is the first way to do it. It's cheap; you don't have to do mm. much, but just deny certain things. You don't have to because yeah. it's not an, it's not active. It's one of those things where you're literally just saying no. So it's like, oh, okay, can we get a Trader Joe's in this neighborhood? No. Can we get a Whole Foods in this neighborhood? Mm-hmm. No. Can we just get a basic grocery store in this neighborhood? No. And so like when you start to have those conversations, people are kind of like, so when you hear black people saying, yeah, it's like the government's at war with our community and they're like, eh, you know, that's, that's a little extreme. I'm like, but they have literally cut them off from their food supply. If you look at Flint, they've literally been cut off from a water supply. How does that, how is that not an act of war? And you want to know why people are violent. Like, I mean, we didn't storm no capitals or nothing, but... (laughs) Yeah, that wasn't us. But I think a lot of the folks who stormed the Capitol, minus the psychotic nature of the whole thing, mm-hmm. that a lot of them are now coming face to face with some of the same acts of war in their communities that Black people yeah. have had to deal with all this time, and so to, you know to be to live in abject poverty or, cause we saw some of the photos of like some of the folks who like mm-hmm. stormed the Capitol. They're yeah. like, look at them. They've got two pickup trucks. They live in a double wide. They got all this land, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, but as we all know, poverty doesn't always look the same. Yeah. So it could be that when they were employed, they bought their vehicle. Mm-hmm. They could have, own that, you know, it's a double y they might own their home. It mm-hmm. might be family land. So it's not something they ever had to purchase. Yeah. So you don't know what they had ownership of before they found themselves in this space of poverty. So it doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean that their cabinets are full or their refrigerators full, yeah. or their kids are fed. And when you're, you know, especially when you're dealing with a child and you notice that this child has gone hungry as a parent, that would make you violent.
0: Mm-hmm. It might
1: make you do some dumb stuff like storing the Capitol in a jamiroquois costume i don't i yeah. don't like I said for me it's like i don't condone or excuse that very atrocious behavior specifically mm-hmm. because black people would have never gotten away with that but yeah. the idea like why they you know why some of them would have been driven i know just again like that psych the psychotic energy f- transfers from one person to another so i get you know like you know donald trump inciting a riot is one thing but i'm sure people showed up for other reasons. They were angry for other reasons. So uh, not the ones who got the mic, unfortunately, but the ones who ended up like quietly just going home, Mm -hmm. realizing like, you know, like to feel that level of anxiety and fear, like we have this new president and they're not going to take care of us, just like the president, you know, before Trump. And I felt like he was the only one taking care Mm -hmm. of us, even though Mm -hmm. he was not taking care of you. Um, It's just all of those things factor in. and I think poverty is again, it's a way to like it's psychological warfare. If you keep mm-hmm. someone in a state of lack all the time and eventually strip them of like their hopeless, their hope, and things yeah. like that, you can subjugate anybody, you can oppress anybody, and they'll happily just do it. They're like, whatever you need in order for me to be able to get access to food, what do you need me to do or not do in order to get access to like housing? I'll do yep. it because now. <laughs> that's more important. And so, yeah. So and, like I said, we need to have a panel about food insecurity. Oh, yeah,
0: definitely. I'm that's a whole, yeah, that's a whole other man.
1: I just, because yeah. I, like someone like yourself, someone working in food science mm-hmm. and you have someone like uh, Adrian Lipscomb, who's, you know, working on like the 40 acres project where she's buying farmland and trying to preserve mm-hmm. like black, uh, agrarian like practices and things like that. Like, I think both of you are working towards the same end. You're just yeah. using and the the education you have in order to work on different parts of it. And that's Mm -hmm. why I'm like having a a conversation about it from all of these angles. Like, how are we attacking this issue? Um, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, well-fed people are happier people and well-fed people are productive people. And like, how can we get to that place? So- Exactly. I wanted to talk to you about TikTok. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm trying. I'm trying. My my, my little
0: knowledge of TikTok, I think I'm too old to be on TikTok,
1: but- This is where I think like- (laughs) let's be real y'all certain apps you're just kind of like i think i hit the age cutoff uh (laughs) because it seems like more work than it's worth and because you look at tiktok and you see the young like younger people are just Mm -hmm. it seems real breezy like they're like yes i'm gonna get on here with four of my friends we're gonna do this we're gonna do this dance and then i'm gonna edit it a little bit so it looks really cool and then i'm gonna put the music in the back and i'm like the minute they start to explain the process i'm like i'm already tired
0: yeah, it, it really is, especially if you're someone that has a job and you're like, dang, this like this TikTok is a whole other. It's another job that I'm oh, not getting paid God. for.
1: <laughs> like, it's so much. And I'm just like, because I try I, I try to do like reels every once in a while. And mm-hmm. I know it's like reels are kind of like the poor man's version of TikTok, guys. Mm-hmm. But like even that, I'm like, OK, you know what? I'm just going to do a reel of myself making a cup of coffee. And I'm just like, this took three hours. <laughs> No, I I could have been in my sauna blanket. I could have been doing a facial. I could have been taking a shower or making a meal three hours. You guys are hitting me. Like you I, have more time than I do apparently.
0: Oh yeah. And I feel like a lot of people that kind of consume people's content don't realize how, how long it actually takes to do a lot of that. Because before I started doing it, I didn't realize. And you're kind of, you're consuming people's content for free. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah and you're like,
0: yeah, and you're consuming all this content for free and it's like, okay, People are like putting a lot of effort in. A probably because I mean I do I do enjoy like teaching people about food science. It's something that I really yeah. do like. Um, but if you really like that, like content creators, especially on TikTok, on Instagram, wherever, especially black female content creators, if you really like them, like and you really like their content, compensate them for it. If you like, right. like hey, what's your Venmo? Like, or if they have a Patreon, join something. their Patreon do something so then they're kind of getting paid equitably for what they're giving you instead of like kind of just like consuming content and like learning a lot of stuff. And then like, okay, well, that was great.
1: (laughs) I mean, whole generation of people now know how to apply makeup. Yeah. Or braid their own hair Mm -hmm. or, you know, start their own locks. Like the black women are out here teaching the entire world how to do a number of things. (laughs) Yeah. And and for, Go ahead for free. Like, yeah, for, for free, and it's like you know the layers. Like if TikTok takes that much time, you under, you know that YouTube takes even longer, and mm-hmm. these videos are like forty five minutes long sometimes, and then they have yeah. music, and they're cutting in gifs, and they're doing the. I just, I mean, I'm doing the podcast, and I'm already like. <laughs> Oh my God, like this, the amount of time this takes and then adding video again, I told someone yesterday, adding video, I must have lost my entire mind, (laughs) but I feel like it's necessary, like for people to watch a conversation is really different. And so I was like, and I wanted to do video. And I just at the, when I started thinking about it a few weeks ago and I'm like, I need to start editing these videos. And I just Mm -hmm. immediately, my brain exploded and I'm just like, I need somebody else to do this. I don't know. Yeah.
0: it's a a lot it's a lot i remember especially like last june kind of when there's a lot of instagram uh people that kind of showed up like activists and things that were giving people a lot of education um, on kind of the black experience in america and how you should not be racist and how to be anti-racist and all this stuff and people were consuming a lot of this content for free yeah and it's like okay well that's fine and all but if you if you want to keep consuming this content you need to pay these people because they're yeah because you're getting education now for free which we know (laughs) doesn't exist
1: like if you Uh, like if college is expensive you can imagine like the person who's sitting there giving you this short little tiktok video on how not to touch a black woman's hair mm -hmm. who has got, got three phds
0: Tells you how
1: much student loan debt they have, just so that Mm -hmm. you can be educated for free, like at the very least.
0: Yeah. So So my advice is, if there's people that you really like, um, give them some money. Pay them them some money. Pay them for the content that you're consuming from them. Seriously.
1: Now for TikTok, like, what was your strategy? What did you like? Is it? I mean, like, what was your plan? (laughs) Yeah. Why did you jump in? Yeah. So
0: I think. As as kind of I was going through Instagram. So I used to like post pretty long videos on Instagram and I which was fine. But I realized like my mom was like, Oh, I really like these. But I feel like she was the only one that was actually watching the whole thing. Like people weren't gonna come watch like a 10 minute thing. Yeah. I mean, your
1: mom's like, yeah. That was great. And you're just like, You're the only one who watched it. That's yeah, I was thing. like, You're yeah. the
0: only one that actually watched this, right? <laughs> um, Good. so I said, Okay, how can I get like science? Kind of facts out to people very quickly because especially nowadays we have yeah. attention span of nothing. Like people don't pay attention to stuff it's for shame. Yeah, it's it really shame. is. I have been finding so myself like I've like changed. It's hard for me if an if an article is too long. I'm like, oh, I'm not reading. <laughs> That's
1: too long. You're like this is too <laughs> I'm much. like oh my like, yeah I know. I like words are you yeah serious? I was like oh man
0: yeah so I was like how do I get it in like a shorter way. I mean, Instagram reels are fine, but those are only like 30 seconds. So yeah, I've been trying 15. A 50, they're so short. 15, <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, what am Okay, that's not so I was like, TikTok. they let you do a minute video. And I yeah. so I started a new thing where I'm trying to do science in 60 seconds. So trying to teach people a, si- a food science fact that's relevant to their life. Um, because, you know, I like also teaching people stuff like, Yeah, you can teach someone like, oh, this is a free radical and et cetera, et cetera. And people are like, why do I care? Like, why would I care? Like, Like, at the end of the day, people need to like care about what they're learning. So, like, oh, I can actually use this in my real life. Like, that's awesome. I did one on like how to ripen your avocados faster and kind of explain, like, oh, you can use like fruits that do ripen, like bananas, apples, and put it in there. And then that'll help it ripen. So, I think really trying to.
1: If you come home, and you drop these avocados with bananas and apples and you don't plan on eating them too exactly. soon. Don't yeah. do that. Don't do, do that. Yeah. Then you'll just be angry at the avocado for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> it's just doing what it naturally does. And now you're out here bad mouthing avocados for going ripe today. <laughs> but
0: just... Yeah, yeah. And it's and it's like uh, so trying to get people something quick um that they can kind of consume. I only have three videos on TikTok right now, so I'm still trying to figure it out. It is a lot of work. I, my goal is to post like, like two times a week, but I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's a lot.
1: And you see people who are posting every day and you're yeah, just like, okay, yeah. so help me understand. Like what things are you really? Cause with, with any kind of any type of content production, there are things you have to be prepared to throw away oh, and, yeah. not, and not make important in order to get volume out. Now, if you're that person mm-hmm. who like myself, I'm like, I value value over volume, yeah. then I'm prepared to take time and make sure everything is what I want it to look like Mm -hmm. and all the quality is there. But if you're willing to like throw out lighting, throw out color, throw out sound qualities, like if you're willing to like, let go of some of that stuff, you can, you can produce a lot of content in a very short amount of time. But I know like most of the people I know, like they're trying to produce quality content because Mm -hmm. you only get a handful of minutes or maybe just one minute to be in front of that person. And if it's like, if it's hard at all, I can't mm-hmm. hear this. This is and of course now we know what is it, 87. The number now is 87% of, of more of most viewers do not watch TikTok videos or Instagram videos or reels with their sound on. So adding mm-hmm. um captioning allows for yeah. you to have more more eyes on your stuff and so just even understanding like how these algorithms are starting to work how they Mm -hmm. shift almost every few days like you know the instagram algorithm and i understand like between the shadow banding and all the other things that people are experiencing right now there are also some like legitimate um, there's like, like the, they withhold a lot of those algorithm bits from the public. Mm-hmm. So you don't know what you should be doing now. So yeah. I was, there's a guy on YouTube. I, I'll i have to like find his name and like shout him out. He does every week, every single week, he mm-hmm. investigates the Instagram algorithm and figures out wow. why, how it's changed. And then he tells everybody. Wow. So like last, the la- the video I watched three, he had posted three weeks ago about mm-hmm. the one, the like the last big change they made. Yeah. And one of the key things he said is like, if you are looking to get more eyes on a post mm-hmm. or any content you're putting on Instagram, once you've posted it and it's gone live or whatever you've mm-hmm. done, he's like immediately come out of the app all of the way and mm-hmm. don't go back onto the app for at least 30 minutes. Interesting. He's like, because the algorithm for Instagram, the whole point is to get you to come back onto the app and Mm. engage and scroll and be there and he was like so yeah. what they do is if you post something they push your content and get people to like and subscribe and, and then save mm-hmm. and all those things so you start getting notifications on your phone and then mm-hmm. you get curious and so it takes you back onto the app ah so he's like so if you stay off of the app Instagram will push your content because they want you to come back on the app
0: interesting I mean so that that makes sense
1: I tested <laughs> it I have tested it and it is absolutely true.
0: Whoa! I'm gonna have to try that. It's yeah, because I like it the yeah. anytime
1: I post something about the podcast, I like mm-hmm. I put my post up. I come, I back all the way out of the the app, out of my phone, and I wait for thirty minutes maybe 45, If you know, push mm-hmm. it to an hour. if I don't have anyone asking me anything in like the DMs. Um, so I usually will wait. And by the time I get back to that post, when it used to be like maybe three bits of engaged, like three people engaged with the post alike or mm-hmm. save or share um, in a matter of hours, by the time I get back on, it's usually like 28, 32, 45. Like wow. my posts have actually had more eyes on them. And since I've learned that little bit of information than ever before that's like actual engagement people are dropping comments people I see people sharing it more I was just like this is bananas (laughs) someone pay this man for helping us all because he yeah exactly because I think a lot of the things people like specifically like black women are experiencing on Instagram Mm -hmm. I think part of it yes has some racial bias to it because Mm -hmm. you know Instagram's algorithm or their IA is kind of built to look for certain things at the same time. I think part of it too is just the lack of information on how the Mm -hmm. algorithm is working and the fact that it changes almost every week and you have to just keep up with that. And so I was just kind of like, Okay, I'll be revisiting his YouTube quite a bit because <laughs> he's because my thing is he's doing the work to find out. Yeah. And mm-hmm. like that's probably a lot of work because he has to probably do a lot of it. like you know, it's proprietary information. Like Instagram yeah. ain't gonna that up. So yeah. the fact that he's finding out and he's just offering that up for free. It and is, then you contest yeah. it. You can just test it and find out that he's right. And I was just like, well, all right, this is crazy. That sounds nuts. And then trying out what he said and knowing that now, like, it actually works. I'm just like, oh, oh my! this man is giving out invaluable information for free. Oh, yeah. But people are doing that all the time. And I just think that all the time you just recognize now in your in your TikTok (laughs) space are you taking like questions and like, are you taking requests? Are there things that people have reached out to go, Hey, I would like. Not
0: Yeah, Not yet on TikTok. I will say on Instagram, people have reached out to me about just even in my email. Cause I have my email um, in my uh, Instagram. And yeah. People have reached out to me about stuff and it's great. Cause they're. I was like, how'd you find? <laughs> <laughs> Look,
1: I'm doing this podcast. Like, how'd and you I still find- ask that question. I'm like, how did you find me? And they're yeah, just like your podcast. And I'm like, You listen to that? Oh. (laughs) I don't know why my brain will not just flip the switch and go, people listen to the podcast to calm down. But most times they're like, yeah, I've been listening to your podcast. And I'm just like, but you're a stranger.
0: Like, it's it's crazy how like people, like people that you don't know, they're like, oh, I actually like like, like what
1: you're doing. (laughs) I had one person go, yeah, we play it in our cafe. What? Why? Why would you do that to people? Let them eat in peace. Anyway, that's, it's weird, that's, but yes, here we are. now yeah, yeah, but I get I get random stuff. I would love to see you cover. Um oh, and yeah. there is a collaboration that I think you would enjoy. I know the other person would do. so Kalisa Marie Martin, mm-hmm. fantastic YouTuber, love all her, she's like one of the dearest people in the world. Um, she started like a, her a food science Friday. Like series Love on it. YouTube. I don't know if she's posted recently. I have to double check. I don't think she's posted because I have my alerts on. So she loves food science. Um, and I feel like you guys would make, you guys would have a really awesome collaboration. So I'm going to like, that sounds awesome. Yes. I will reach out to her because I just was like, Ooh, these guys, these two could really do something super cool. So yeah, I'll reach out to her and like make an introduction. Cause I just was, oh, I, yeah, definitely. my brain is like, you know, running the paces right now about around this idea. Now, as far as things to cover, I mm-hmm. when I was teaching culinary classes to like lay people, um, mm-hmm. the first few, I usually did it in a series because I never wanted to just have someone come in and cook a recipe because that's just not yeah. how I teach people things. And so most of my classes are technique driven because I want you to learn mm-hmm. how to saute. I want you to learn how to saute. So that yeah. way when you see saute in a recipe, you know what to do, mm-hmm. but you're not like dictated by the recipe. So yeah. you usually have to take three classes for me. You have to take a knife skills class, mm-hmm. you have to take a food safety class, and you then we can talk about, like, cooking some actual food. Okay, yeah. So, in food safety, the, that's the thing that I think people have, like, li- they light up the most about because they didn't yeah. realize mm-hmm. so many things were happening. And so, I would love to see a bit more from my fellow chefs about that, like, really talking to people yeah. about food safety, food preservation. Um mm. I think the reason why we do tend to have higher grocery bills and a lot of food waste is because, because people don't know how to store food.
0: Exactly.
1: Restaurants are restaurants, utilize all of our product because we do know how to store food and use it again and reutilize it in another dish because Mm -hmm. it's been stored properly. So we don't, because our food budgets in a restaurant, aren't that big and we and our profit margins are driven by them. And so we are very vigilant about that. But I think the home cook and the you know the person running a household or managing a household deserves to have that same information because wouldn't it be amazing if your grocery bill could be like cut down by 25% because you were able to store something properly? Yeah. This simple act of knowing, like, bring your food down to the right temperature before you put it in the refrigerator or the freezer. Um, freeze, you know, refrigerate your fruit before you bag it and put it in the freezer. Like, bring it to the temperature, a, a, co- a mm. colder core temperature. So, before you freeze, because most people take, like, strawberries, for instance. Yeah. They wash them, which means, of course, now you've impregnated them with more water. Yep. And then they <laughs> shove them in a bag, soggy, and then they shove them in the freezer. And now you yep. have this huge clump of strawberries that don't yep. taste very good. <laughs> Yeah. And instead of brush them clean or wipe them clean with a paper towel, don't soak them in anything. And mm-hmm. then put them on a sheet tray or put them on like a you know single level uh mm-hmm. single level sheet, sheet tray, baking sheet, cookie sheet, I don't care. And then put put it in the refrigerator. Bring it down, bring the temperature down to at least 40 degrees, 35 mm-hmm. degrees, and then bag it and put it in the yeah. refrigerator. I'm like, the reason why you think the frozen fruit at the grocery store is sexy is because ICF they freeze it individually like they refrigerate it individually first then they freeze it so Mm -hmm. like those types of things could save people so much money if they understood like the process of preservation and leftovers people love a leftover they're like oh my god i eat leftovers and it's like most leftovers are stored incorrectly and I i had a class where someone had expressed that like Oh, we don't eat those things in our house because you know they give us like gastrointestinal upset. And I heard a lot of that cooking, uh, teaching cooking classes that people like. Oh, we just you know that just bothers my stomach and so on and so forth. And I was just like, let me ask you guys a question: Do you eat leftovers? Oh yeah, Mm -hmm. we make a huge pot of whatever and then store it in the refrigerator. And I'm like, okay. Do you have ongoing? gastrointestinal upset. Like you notice that at any point during Mm -hmm. the week, you have like a small stomach pain, you have gas, you have some type of acid reflux issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. So let me connect some dots for you. When you are storing your soup, what temperature is it at when you put it in the refrigerator? Oh, you know, I just cut the heat off. We serve it. It sits out. And then (laughs) when everyone's finished, I put it in another container and I shove it in the refrigerator. And you're just like, how long was it sitting out? Oh, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah. And then it's the other one. Well, I go, it, I mean, I just take it directly out the pot while it's still hot and then put it in a oh, Tupperware. Yeah, no. So then, I, like, I hear all of the things and mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, so guys, here's what's happening you all have food poisoning. Yep. What? You have food poisoning. You might not have like the violent, like diarrhea, yeah. vomiting, food poisoning, but you are constantly giving yourself food poisoning because what you're doing is a, you're storing it at a, an unsafe temperature. Mm-hmm. And then when you heat it, it's not brought to the proper temperature. Yeah. And then you shove it back into the refrigerator. And so this is your constant. And so yeah. I always, we walk through the, that, that is a whole ass class for me. It's a three hour class. I'm like, oh, okay, so yeah. this, is what, this is what I need you guys to do to get more out of your leftovers, to stop feeling sick every time you eat, all of the things. And so I give them just some best practices to do in our own home kitchen, like, you know, cooling their food really quickly, making sure that once everyone is served, that their food gets immediately portioned out so it can mm-hmm. cool and get put away. Like just I give them those timelines that you typically use in a restaurant in order to avoid time and temperature yeah. use. And the other thing, of course, is hand washing. Oh, yeah. People probably have noticed that they have felt healthier and have had fewer illnesses since the quarantines have started because everyone has to be, st- everyone has to be less nasty.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, I was like, people are, wa- I mean, I found myself washing my hands more than I did yeah. before. And I'm like, my just hands like, are all-
1: yeah. cuticles stay dry because my <laughs> hands are always <laughs> yep. being on, And I'm just like, so people are like, oh, I'm wearing a mask now and I'm washing my hands. I'm like, you notice how less of the, less of society is sick. Mm It's because you're not coughing on each other. You're not breathing on each other. Your hands are clean. You're avoiding, you're not touching everything and putting things in your mouth like a toddler. So yeah, people are just in generally, they're just a lot more mindful of germs. And I'm like you, because I tell people, most people when they get sick, it's not because of the restaurant. They just ate Mm in are getting that kind of violent food poisoning because they're disgusting they're not washing their hands after <laughs> they use the bathroom yep. they've got their hands on everything and people just mm-hmm. by the end of the class most people are just like Gross. I'm like yeah you should be appalled <laughs> you should be appalled because you realized now that you've been making yourself and your family mm-hmm. sick and it's not because you, it's just simply because you just didn't know yeah you just did yeah. not know that should not sit out. And if you open, like I'm one of those people like all your packaging, when you get something home from the grocery store, please read to see what needs to be refrigerated right Mm -hmm. away. And then read about the things that should be refrigerated after you open. them. Yeah. People leave things out that should not ever be left out. And (laughs) and then they freak out out about things that don't have any issues being left out. I'm like, do you know how acidic that is? Just leave it there. It's fine. They're like, are you sure? I'm like, nope yes. just all my years cooking and in culinary and all the things i wouldn't know what's safe to leave on the shelf <laughs> but you go yeah. Off. it's so yeah so in your in your tiktok life like you know just drop a little food safety science yeah on the- yeah
0: and that's and that's definitely something that i should do reading i don't know if you felt like bon appetit the mess that they are but anyway
1: uh, I, so- tried, i'm trying to support them making a, t- a change for the better it's not yeah. going well I no, it, to, they they gonna have to really buckle down and do some shit. That's the thing. It really just,
0: isn't, but but Brad Leone, who's like the yeah. uh, the preservation the the perm- guy, yeah, the fermentation guy. <laughs> yeah, man. But they did. He did a recipe on like home canning seafood, which I don't recommend anyone doing. <laughs> like, unless you're a professional, like please really please don't home can seafood unless you have a lot of experience with it and try to like leave it on the shelf because they were doing it and they weren't taking it to a temperature that was safe like to leave outside the refrigerator like if you put in the refrigerator fine but like the lady was like oh well it's like short-term shelf stable and I was like what does that mean like shelf stable means that it's stable (laughs) on the shelf (laughs) like yeah and i was like and they they took the video down finally but they didn't like tell people hey don't do this like please that's don't irresponsible.
1: do this that's, that's ir- yeah that's, that's irresponsible. irresponsible like if you took the yeah. video down you took it down for good reason and at least own up to the fact that like hey that was not best practices in that video um, if you, if you did can something during that, you know, using that video process or using the processes in those videos, please do not consume it. It's not safe. Yeah. Like just be a responsible food person for the love. Like, why would you uh, not?
0: Exactly. And it's, it's like, you don't want anyone to get sick, especially from something that they made. They're like, Ooh, I right.
1: want to try this like, so thing. Is, are your YouTube numbers more important than someone getting deathly ill from seafood in a jar? Yeah. Yeah, it's not
0: not good. But that's something it's, that I do. I do want to talk about more. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Also about like food waste and how people can like, if you have yes. something that's about to go bad, because that's something that I hate food. I hate throwing stuff away. Yeah. I hate food waste. Um, so it's like, how can I better utilize the things that I have? Like yeah. that's why I like quick pickle a lot of stuff. If I have stuff that's about to go bad, I just quick pickle it. Come on, um, man, keep it, keep it in the Throw refrigerator. It it's grind. like okay, let's keep
1: it moving. Yep,
0: there you go, <laughs> got it. Um, acidity helps helps yeah. preserve it longer. Um, I also I do I freeze all my vegetable scraps like when I'm cooking yeah. uh, to make veggie stock, uh, which I like, which I actually got from taking a CCS class. I was like, oh, I never thought about doing that. Like, yep. like when, you when just you're peeling. Yeah, exactly. You can just throw them in. You can add that like when you cut off the top of an onion. It's like, I mean, that's still,
1: you can still use that for something. (laughs) But again, these are conversations that people aren't having with Mm -hmm. like the general public. And so I'm like, yes, our grocery bills will continue to still be high. Food waste numbers will still be high because we've lost the practices Mm -hmm. that, you know, our ancestors used and Mm -hmm. our generations ago, like there wasn't a ton of food waste because people had methods to avoid it you canned it, you, you know, if you had, if you, cause my, my great aunt used to have a small garden, um, mm-hmm. and she lived in a very urban community. And so she, yeah. would she, you know, when she grew up in Georgia, it was like, you had a farm, you grew your own, you grew certain vegetables yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I remember going into her kitchen and she always had like a jar of beans, a jar, like the things that were in abundance that she pulled and she couldn't consume in a season, yeah. you know, got preserved. And I was just like, no one's teaching the technique of that. Like exactly. I think if people had the tools because a lot of those things are economical too because they don't require mm-hmm. any large pieces of equipment. It's like, yeah. if you can boil water, you can probably <laughs> you can pull this off. Um, if yeah. you can get your hands on salt and vinegar and maybe mm-hmm. some like dry spices and seasonings and some some sugar, you could yep. figure out a really cool pickling brine and just use the same brine over and over again. There was yep. one restaurant, we would just reuse our brine for the next batch, mm. and it's just like yeah. I mean, this is where those this is where those uh, apple cider vinegar, like those mothers, mm-hmm. um, the, the mother bacterias and stuff, come from, and the kombuchas and stuff like that. Because people are reusing these things, but mm-hmm. I think it's lost on people. Like, why fermentation? Yeah became a norm and why preservation in a certain way became a norm is because mm-hmm. economically you can't go out and just go buy new groceries and there's just there's no yeah. way to you know not utilize that food again I mean I'm great for like getting like takeout and then the mm-hmm. next day going okay can this become a hash there's yeah, I, love I, there's I do mold. that all the time yep I'm like this is gonna be a next that's gonna be that leftover hash situation so it's just there's ways to like work around this but I think mm-hmm. people are owed that that information because if you're going to continue to starve out com- communities whenever they mm-hmm. do get their hands on food like for me it's like the job of the food people of the world to help those yeah. communities figure out how to utilize it to its best ability to feed them so yeah definitely now winding up here because lord have mercy I, I give yeah. myself an hour for these interviews knowing full well it's gonna go it's longer than an hour because I aspire to an hour. Because someone was like, "You should just stick to an hour." I'm like, "You don't understand black people." And it's, it'll just like it's like three hours later. You're like oh. an hour, seriously? Because um, even when I edit and cut things down and stuff like that, it's like, yes, you're still you're still at an hour and twenty minutes. And I'm like, <laughs> you're just gonna have to listen to this whole thing. I'm sorry, guys. I'm not gonna cut this back. Um, so with these final minutes, uh, mm-hmm. these last like last fifteen minutes, um, outside of TikTok. And yeah. Instagram, are you doing? Are you writing anywhere? Do you have a website? Like, what other, what other places can people? Like yeah, find
0: I'm. I aspire to have a website. I bought a domain, but there's nothing on it. <laughs> yes. Come on. Kids. <laughs> but but that's an aspiration to do that. Um, mostly for like recipes and trying to get like access to kind of the knowledge that I have to other people. Like you said, how can I get people to learn about? how to preserve their food that's going to go bad quickly, how to utilize all of their food yeah. to do something with it. Like I haven't, I don't buy stock anymore. Like that's something that I essentially kind of like to. now have like
1: for free. If right. you have um, a container to store it, you're good. You are exactly, good.
0: Exactly. So I'm like, there's a lot of knowledge that people can use to help yeah. them save money, to help them eat healthier, to help them what like build wealth for their family, because now they're not spending a ton of money on their food hopefully um yeah so that's that's an aspiration of mine that's like something that i do want to do um i do like talk on some panels sometimes which i and also i do a lot of outreach to high school students
1: Um, okay awesome
0: so yeah so that's something that i do absolutely love doing um and i will continue to do and also to mostly to get like kids interested in stem and that there's like another side of science that like people don't think about people when people think of scientists think of some like nerd they that's in a lab I mean I nerd. am a nerd in a lab
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, my like, around, but it's my myself I, is edible
0: yeah exactly and yeah. I like seeing kids like light up like oh I didn't even think like especially when we talk about Gatorade because mostly high school kids are like yeah I love Gatorade like I drink this all the time and you're like did you know that you can get a job like making that and they're like whoa like no I did, know. I did not know that I did not know that and it's 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 really cool to see like kids get interested in science that way because a lot of a lot of kids I talk to say they hate science like when they're in school they're like I hate it because either they think they're not good at it yeah um, which I don't believe because I think I think some teachers just might not be good they're not good or, at teaching it let's be real yeah yeah. Or some teachers might try to sabotage you. I don't, my dad, my yeah. dad's actually a dentist. And he, when he was in high school um, and he was in biology, his <laughs> biology teacher told him, you shouldn't be here. You should go to shop and build birdhouses. Literally. That's
1: what his teacher told him. I'm me. like, is there so, money in birdhouses? What are you saying know, to me right? right now?
0: Right. And he was essentially telling him like, you yeah. don't be- like you don't have a place here. And which is fresh. I mean, I, I don't, I'm sure that happens to students all yeah, the time. All the time all the time and was, it was yeah to that point
1: everyone has a place and there was a wow okay a there's a guy who had recently tweeted about, he's an engineer now mm-hmm. when he works for NASA um Ooh. and his tweet was about the fact that when he was in high school and in college he mm-hmm. had a like a 2.8 or like a 3.2 GPA something that was just not something to brag about mm-hmm. and so yeah. with that of course your instructors, your professors, and everyone is just Mm -hmm. like, okay, maybe this is just not for you, but he loves his work. He loved, he wanted to be an engineer. He loves, he he has like this insatiable curiosity about Mm -hmm. space and he just, he knew that's what he wanted to do. And so he's like, now he's like, looking at my GPA then and understanding that I've now sent like two rovers to Mars and I'm working on uh, sending something to the moon Mm -hmm. right now. And he was like, the thing I learned from that experience is that I am that the grade and the GPA don't tell you anything. He was like, I, oh, no, I do this work. I knew I was good at what I did, and it's like mm-hmm. that was not a reflection of my ability. And that, that's what he said. It wasn't a reflection of his ability. And I was just like, that is such a poignant thing to pass on to like students right now. Yes. Like, yes. look, I, I get grades are a way for school districts to figure out how much money they get, mm-hmm. honestly. And it's just like you know, every now and again what you need to know is that you've learned something and you've accomplished uh, what's the word um you've grasped a concept even because even Mm -hmm. when i have learned that is really hard because learning is so fluid yeah and you never really know something for sure because things change and so this idea that you're like yes you know this grade is like a way of you understanding like okay now i know this information and you're just Mm -hmm. like but you know, like I, if I went into school now and was to like apply myself to math at this point, I'd probably be a little lost because the way mm-hmm. we do math has changed. The nature yeah. of hasn't changed, but the way we do math has changed. So like, you know, if I took my like 10th grade algebra class, the way I learned algebra, I'd probably be very proficient at it. But if I sat mm-hmm. in a 10th grade class now, I probably it would be a huge learning. Yeah. curve. For me. And so that's why I'm telling people like the grade thing is a bit antiquated. It doesn't mm-hmm. really tell, and it's not a, it's not a data point. It doesn't tell yeah. you anything. And so it doesn't help you in, it doesn't inform a choice. Mm-hmm. So what is the point of it? Like if you can make grades mean something yeah. outside of like, Hey, you're done here, go ahead and on, get, get on to the next class. Like if mm-hmm. you can actually apply some value to that particular type of system of evaluation, knowing that it is really based in an economy that, made that just wanted people to be factory workers. I'm like, Mm -hmm. you know, this is an education system that's still deeply set in the industrial revolution where it was like, well, we don't need you to know how to think at a collegiate level. We just need you to know how to pull a lever and push a button and do a Mm -hmm. quality check and make sure that this particular thing is not missing. This particular, you know, nut, bolt, washer or whatever is applied correctly, consistently. And so Mm -hmm. like at this point with education, it's like we deserve, you know, I know I'm like when I was in school, I felt the same way. I'm like, I deserve a big bigger, broader, more robust education than this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want things that yeah, I can definitely. be curious about and I can explore mm-hmm. and I want to be able to have the privilege of failure mm-hmm. devastating my life. Yeah. And, like that's one of those things that really are missing from, you know, essentially the education of black and Brown kids is that mm-hmm. they don't get the privilege of failing. Yeah. And someone coming behind them and going, it's fine. Learn what you need to learn and move on. Try again. We have Mm -hmm. to be perfect out out the gate.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's and that's something that I I think a lot of a lot of black people, students feel. And even like in like corporate settings, when you go to work, like I have to be kind of like on my A game 100 (laughs) percent of the time, because. If, if I'm not, then I, that you're like, Oh, but that, then that reflects like on black people everywhere.
1: Exactly. And,
0: and that's like a burden that you just carry. You really do.
1: Yeah. No one even tells you that you're carrying it. You just, it's Mm -hmm. just part of how you're raised. And in science, I think that was one of the really wonderful things I loved about like all of my science classes. And I like, I had like honors chem and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I loved it because my instructors always gave space for failure they were like cuz that's how science works exactly and so it, i think to yeah. like encourage kids to be a part of like science and technology is to in, is to tell them that you have space for failure because that's necessary in order to come come into these innovations and these inventions that the world yes. needs is you have to fail here because we need to know why it won't work we need to put it through its yep. paces because we need to understand why something might fail a consumer. Otherwise, this I mean, you have those quality control tests for a reason. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, let's yep. see what, what, how we can break it. Can we drop it from a roof? Can we hit it with a hammer? Like what will a person do to destroy this thing so we can figure out like it's vulnerable points? So just to even to be in a situation where you're encouraged to fail and encouraged to like destroy something in an effort to make it better. That's a really different conversation mm-hmm. to have with black kids because oh, de-
0: definitely and that's why i always say that's why they call it research and development i was like we're constantly researching and constantly developing like things don't always things don't always work out <laughs> no. like shock like yeah. i i was yeah i always talk about people because i'm i'm like well like in food development you start on a bench top you start a small scale like a kitchen scale and then you slowly move up I, I kind of equate that to I tell people, so if you've made a batch of cookies, so you like use the cookie recipe, then you're like, Oh, I have more friends coming. I'm going to double the recipe. Mm-hmm. And then it doesn't come out right. But that's exactly what happens. Because you yeah. can like make something on a small scale, try to make it on a larger scale. And it doesn't it doesn't work. And you're like, Oh, okay. And you have to figure out why.
1: For me, it's the beauty of the, okay, so why didn't it work? Exactly, exactly. That's the glorious nature of science is like, okay, so now we get to explore the question of why didn't that work and like find a solution? Because I love, like I'm, I love problem solving. It's like really curiosity and problem solving kind of drive all of my work and all of my decisions. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like to problem solve makes, you know, people who can problem solve are extremely valuable. And if you are a food person in any capacity, in any category, Mm -hmm. you are in the business of problem solving. And so like, it's, it's just a great moment to go, Oh, that didn't work. Okay. So what questions didn't we ask? What questions do we ask now? How Mm -hmm. do we try this again in a a different way? So it's successful. Maybe we uncover something that we didn't realize before, but now the product's even better than what we had anticipated because we came across the solution. So yeah, and I'm a huge proponent of like, if you work in food, you work in STEM. That has been an ongoing war cry for me. So when I talk to kids, I'm always like, if you decide to become a culinarian and get into gastronomy Mm -hmm. and into these spaces, you are now working in STEM. And they're just like, what? And I'm just like, and you explain it to them, they're just like, Oh, I'm like, yeah, like a lot of food, a lot of cooking. a All of this is like, it's alchemy. It's you figuring out Mm -hmm. what reactions happen with this and what is going to create like the final experience. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is like question and answers, failure. And and there you are. And so you spend a lot of time sitting in kitchens, like I spent some time at America's test kitchen and like, that's the job. That's all that is. It's just kind of like, okay, we're not going to put baking soda in that. Yeah. Uh, or maybe we'll reduce that down and like get rid of the water because we mm-hmm. need this to do this. And I'm like, so all of it is really the space of like science and technology that you have to live in. So yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Go it ahead. really is. Yeah. And it's, um, oh, I forgot what I was going to say now. Girl, you are. But anyway, I was like, <laughs> where was that? I don't even know.
1: It was something that was probably important, but now, uh, but it's oh, like, no, before. now, oh, Go now ahead. I remember. Uh, yeah.
0: No, so, yeah. So when, when I talk to high school students or even middle school students, even college students sometimes, yeah. about like, because a lot of people that d- think they don't like science, it's like, well, d- like, don't pay attention to your grades that you have in your science class right now. If you have, a level of curiosity if you love problem solving if you really like things like that then there's a place i mean i think there's a place for everyone in science like in the science and stem field um even though some people try to like (laughs) take some people out of it but there's a place for everyone and like if you have those kind of skills and those curiosities then you'll be very interested in i think being interested in being passionate about what you do to me is really important because I think you can be a su- uh, the smartest person
1: ever, but if you, if you don't like it, then uh, it's going to show through your work. Oh yeah. And how smart can you be to continue to do work you don't like? Yeah, exactly. I question your intelligence. <laughs> um, spe- specifically if you don't have, if it's not necessary, there are mm-hmm. people who yeah. I do this work because it's necessary to, I need money for my life, but the people mm-hmm. who have choices and options and still continue to just stick with the thing they don't like. I'm yeah. Like, Okay, you might need to see a a therapist about that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's in. I I am encouraged because like black women, I think we work we have worked in STEM longer than it's had a name. I'm like if you've mm-hmm. ever gone to the hairdresser and they've applied a relaxer oh, yeah. to your hair, they've colored it. They figured out how heat can be applied to those fibers in order to mm-hmm. make them straight. Curly, like we have worked in this space for a very long time. I mean, it's not yeah. like you know, relaxers and stuff came about because we were mixing chemicals, trying to figure mm-hmm. out how to straighten our hair so it was more acceptable. And so, even now, like with women wearing their hair as it grows out of their scalp, we're trying to figure out a new way, yeah, scientifically. Like, I mean, think about all the black women who are releasing like hair care brands, you know, mm-hmm. everybody from uh, Taraji mm-hmm. B. Enten to um... mm. wow, to okay. Diana Ross's daughter. Oh,
0: Tracy
1: yeah. Ellis Ross. Ross.
0: Trans- I'm Tracy like, Ellis. I was like, why did I blank? Oh my gosh! I was like,
1: pattern. Uh, Tracy Ellis Ross, and then yeah. of course uh, now we have uh, Jada Pinkett, who's who's produced mm-hmm. a um, a line of like body care products. Uh, Alicia Keys has done so. It's like mm-hmm. you know a Rihanna, a Rihanna, excuse me. I, it's not Rihanna, y'all. It's Rihanna. Um, you know her producing Fenty. It's just. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when people it's funny, because I remember there was a tremendous amount of pushback from like the beauty community and like the influencer community, because like, how dare you be like an R&B star or how Mm -hmm. dare you be a star or whatever and think you can like play in this space? You aren't a dermatologist and you aren't a so-and-so. And then you discover that these women have done the work to learn yeah. about formulation and to learn about things that work with the skin. And they've done their mm-hmm. like dermatological studies in order to know yeah. what affects the skin. So like they have the receipts to qualify mm-hmm. them to develop these brands outside of the fact that they have lived with their hair texture their whole life. They've lived with yep. their skin type their whole life. And so like mm-hmm. just that alone. And I'm just like, it's so interesting. Like, Like Black women have been in that space that so we've been in the beauty space for a long time. We've been yeah. developing beauty products forever in our homes like you no one cared about shea butter yep and now it's in everything yep coconut oil and now mm-hmm. that's in everything with the shea butter so it's just this idea that we were sitting at home treating ourselves because we weren't allowed in the hair salon Mm -hmm. It was a whites only situation or we were not allowed into certain kitchens or we weren't allowed into certain businesses. And so we had, you know, the drugstore or wherever. And so Mm -hmm. we had to figure out how to heal ourselves, take care of ourselves, Mm -hmm. create our own beauty standards and products. So, like, you know, I think it's a natural space for black people to live is in STEM. And it's just
0: oh, definitely
1: sadly the publicity of it all. And the the PR job they've done on this is like, well, black people don't belong in STEM. I'm like, but we stay Mm -hmm. creating and inventing things. Uh, all, all the welcome. time I'm just like yeah you're yeah and you're I, I
0: I will say I am very thankful for all the like kind of um at, efforts that have been made in hair care products I feel like from when I was younger till now like for natural <laughs> hair it's there's a lot more now because when Sweet. I was younger there was like a tiny section right. and especially where I grew up I grew up like in a, like a 98% white <laughs> like community and finding my mom had to drive we had to like drive That's like 40 cool. minutes by my grandparents to go find hair care products You're and like, now weird.
1: Is hat, you get some S curl, yeah, a little bit of school for eight in that grocery store, gr- drugstore. That, that was a wrap,
0: and that's and that's it. But now you can go, I mean, now you can go to Target and there's like a whole aisle.
1: Oh, and, and, and they're <laughs> and encouraging like, it, they want you mm-hmm. to be a part of and they want you, you know, they want the black women to be. I mean, you've got whole brands that yeah. are committed to that, and I'm just like, mm-hmm. thank you for realizing, like, you know, but you know, we've been doing this work a really long time. Yeah. And now we finally get recognized for it. I'm like, George Washington Carver was out here doing things a really long time ago. If people were, I mean, just even down to like how we farm and our agrarian practices and the fact that like Black people could put things in the ground that other people couldn't put in the ground and we figured out Mm -hmm. how to cultivate them. I'm like, there's science there. There's physics there. We understand Mm -hmm. how the soils work and we understand how the sun works and we understand how water application works there. And it's just like, we've been working in STEM for a really long time before you gave Mm -hmm. it a name. And now that you've given it a name and you're trying to market it somehow, we don't belong in the space. And I'm like, no, Mm -hmm. it's not going to work out for you guys either. You're going to eventually go, oh, there's not enough black people in this space. (laughs) Yeah. You think? So yeah. Anyway. All right. I'm going to wrap this up. I really am. I swear guys. <laughs> um, so yes, you are on Instagram as the food scientist, the the black food scientist, the black food scientist. Okay. Yep. Um, That's so the same if, on, if, TikTok if, okay, so on TikTok too. Okay. Same on TikTok too, you guys. I'm also I,
0: on Twitter, uh, but it, I had to like change the name and uh, it's, it's so annoying. I know. It really is.
1: <laughs> You're just like, well, if I can use my actual name, that might yeah,
0: work. it's yeah, they're like, that's too many characters. That's too <laughs> much.
1: So TikTok, Instagram. Um uh, yeah. if someone wanted to get in touch with you to like maybe yeah. like book a session or have you come maybe talk to their students, what's the best way to get in touch?
0: Definitely, yeah, you can um either you can DM me on Instagram, I will look at it, or you can email me at uh the at gmail.com
1: perfect uh, and I, will I was mean, on. I, I call did it for a at a later date for a couple of things
0: so oh definitely i'm i'm always i love i love doing stuff like this and i love kind of like teaching people cuz i feel like food science is like kind of not as well known especially like the i didn't know what it was when i started when i was in school i actually majored in biology and wow. i didn't know that it was a thing like okay. I, I just people just don't know um, and this but is where we get like-
1: the word out I want people to know this is a thing. I want young mm-hmm. people to know this is a thing. Yeah. You know, I want black, I want, I, you know, for me, I'm like, I am excited to see more black women in the space, yeah. specifically more young black women in the space because
0: mm-hmm.
1: I've been focused a lot on, uh, like the future of black food and what that looks like. And, you know, because the future of black food essentially is the future of American food. And so I've been kind of focused on what does that look like? How are we exploring that? How are we innovating? Um, because Mm we, you know, because we're simultaneously exploring our roots in mm-hmm. food at this point too, um, yeah. and we have to really do both things at the same time. What I'm realizing as we uncover a lot of the people who you know moved in the in the food space at the, you know such a long time ago. Mm-hmm. You know, were working in science. They were constantly innovating. Yeah. They had to create new farm tools. They had to create new tools of production. And so I think we've always been with the people who had to like think outside the box and innovate and to push ourselves mm-hmm. forward. And I don't think that'll be any different now. And I'm just like, you know, the future of food is a combination of returning to traditional farming practices and then taking Mm -hmm. those and figuring out how to make them uh, sustainable and Mm -hmm. how to allow equality in that space and inclusion in that space. How can we feed more people? This way, how can we feed mm-hmm. more people with these products? What can we do to make them stable, um, so people can have them for longer periods of time? So yeah, mm-hmm. I think you know innovation, and you know I'm still I'm still looking people. <laughs> if you we, if we haven't figured it out yet i'm still looking for someone working in like food technology because i'm interested in like developing you know food apps being developed mm-hmm. and i think there's a lot of movement around food waste and the technologies around how to help people with food waste and yeah. what does that look like um so yeah so i'm just like if you know a black woman working in food technology Please let me know. Uh, So yeah, I'm just really interested in the future. And I think food science is like an integral part of that. Like, If people know how food works at a molecular level, Mm -hmm. then I think our ability to reproduce something that's nutritious and healthy and sustainable and economical, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's in in our reach. That's within our reach at this point. So I'm just like really excited to see like more people go, food science. Yes. I need to get into that. Um, and again, like when we're watching a lot of people having yep. pivots out of the restaurant world and mm-hmm. like, where do they go with all of that knowledge and to understand that like food science has space for yes. you. Yeah. Especially those who love recipe development and who love Mm -hmm. to like dig into like why a dish works. They like um, molecular gastronomy and they like to see how certain you know compounds you know Mm -hmm. change into something else and how this particular additive changes that. Like, there's just space for people in food science, and I don't think people are thinking about their culinary careers in a big in in a big Mm -hmm. enough context. So, so thank you. I have consumed an hour and what does it say? Thirty eight minutes of your day. um this was great though I, I know this it. was fantastic I'm like this, this yeah. season has been like such a gift and like and I say that every season but like honestly the more people I uncover and everyone's like you should talk to this person of course I should um so <laughs> I am like each all of the interviews I've done this season I'm just like black, black women are doing some really incredible Mm -hmm. things in food right now. And it's more than just like, you know, creating brands and Mm -hmm. cooking meals. It is like having, we are having a huge impact on where American food and the globalization of food Mm -hmm. is going. And I think that is par for the course for us because that's how we usually approach everything. I mean, everybody around the world's wearing cornrows. Yep. So (laughs) it's just like (laughs) that's how far reaching our influences so I can only imagine in like because I'm thinking about like the books that have been released or re-released and like the food conversations we're currently having around like African food ways and like indigenous food ways Mm -hmm. and how far reaching that is right now And people are like yeah you know I bought this cookbook from this person and I can't wait to make like jollof rice for the first time and you're just like can you imagine like even five years ago having this conversation
0: no, yeah. No.
1: Black no. women did that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you you look at what we do and you admire what we do. So naturally you end up going, OK, so what do you guys eat? And then mm-hmm. you start talking about oh, like black black women don't age. Their skin looks great. What are you yeah. guys? Eating? What do you consume? And you're like, I'm consuming collagen. Usually, vital protein collagen. <laughs> That's why yeah. I blacked out. Crack. I was out here, and it's just that <laughs> idea of like we're doing these things, and you know, people finding interest in how we used to eat, how we eat mm-hmm. now. Like, I just yeah. I think we have a bigger influence than we know, um, and I am like fully prepared to make sure that everyone is aware of that at this point. Yeah. Moment.